You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and I hope you guys have had an extraordinary week. I am so excited to be able to sit down and talk to you guys about art, music, and entertainment for the next hour. I know I had a great week, and we're going to just get kind of started into this. We have uh, three great guests coming up today. We have Jeff Williams. He's a magician. He's going to be talking to us about how he got into this profession. I love magic, so it was a really fun experience to be able to talk to a magician and see what inspired them to become an illusionist. Then we're going to be talking to Richard Eldon. Now, he is an entrepreneur and a inventor. And I know you've seen his stuff out there. It's one of those little boxes that you can carry around. It's got wheels on the bottom, usually made of plastic. And they fold out, and they have that, like, handle on it, like you'd see with luggage. But you can fold it all in and turn it into, like, a little, almost like a briefcase size um, to, to just carry it when you're not using it. Really, really handy. Doesn't take up a lot of space. I think you guys are going to be excited to hear how he did this. But also... He went on Shark Tank and got an offer, which he took, of course. So he's going to give you advice if you are an inventor, how to get on to how to get on to um, Shark Tank and hopefully get the offer that you're looking for. Then we're going to be talking to Samantha Stewart. Now she has been on every single solitary daytime drama or soap opera that you can imagine. Best known for her role on Days of Our Lives, but she's going to be talking to us about her role in a brand new movie called Voodoo. So a lot coming up with them. I'm very excited to be talking to them and seeing how they got to where they want to be today. You know, I know that there's so many walls that pop up there and being an artist or an entertainer is a cutthroat business. And I've seen so many people give up just because of the fact that it's tough. You know, you have some of these walls could be self-confidence. It could be money. It could be opportunities. It could be self-doubt. You know, there's so many things out there that can stop us from getting to where we want to be that we sometimes don't jump the wall. Remember, just because there's a wall does not mean it's impenetrable. You can either go through the wall, you can go over the wall, you can go under the wall, but you got to be smart enough to be able to think about doing that. And we can't let those walls get in our way to what we want to be. And these people have all walked the walk, they talked the talk, they've overcome the odds, and if they can do it, you can do it as well. So, um, if you want to go check out our website, you can check out our website anytime you want. We never charge subscription fees, so please go on there, check it out, and hopefully learn from it. Uh, it is www.theamemagazine.com. That is the central hub of what the AME experience is, which is our television, radio, and magazine. So go check that out when you get a chance. Also, we're on Facebook, social media, which is facebook.com forward slash the AME experience. And we're on Twitter, which is at Dowd Studios, D-O-W-D Studios. So we do a lot of talking up there. We do a lot of networking on there. And I, you cannot imagine how important it is just to share some of the things that we put up there because it might impact somebody's life. And that's very important to us. Now, if you guys didn't know, I'm also an artist, and I have been doing this for a long time, and this particular radio show is a platform for people that don't get the opportunity to get their work out there in front of people and tell people what they're doing. So if you're an artist, please 
join me and help get your work out there. And now I'm going to do my shameless plug for my artwork. Maybe you guys know, maybe you don't know, but we are doing a Beautiful People of the World, and it's going to cover all 196 countries. And I have a few of them done so far, but I just did the Dominican Republic this past weekend. I'm really excited. I cannot wait to get these these particular pictures out there. And this is going to be an educational piece that we're going to take out to the world. We want to, we want to show people how beautiful diversity is and educate people about the different cultures that are out there. You know, cultures are just more than skin color. There is religion. There's food. There's dress. There is so much, and I'm learning so much, and I want people to be able to learn that too, because racism is not something that is bred into us. It's learned, and it's because it's fear and the lack of knowledge about those type of people to be able to make a judgment to say, look, they're, they're people too. And so we're afraid, so we put up a wall, and we don't want to, and we put them down because they're different than us. That's not what art's all about. Oh, okay, so we also have one thing that I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, it happened actually last Saturday. Adam West died. He died at, eight, at the age of 88. Now, he was the original Batman in the Batman series with um, Burt Ward. Uh, that's where he's really best known for, but he's done a lot of things since that time, and he still continued to act all the way up until the age of his 80s in his 80s and you probably also recognize the voice maybe you have maybe you haven't as the mayor of Quarhog of uh the family guy so this is really that was a really fun thing that he did it allowed him to lend his voice and his likeness honestly and uh, you know he got to be a voiceover actor as well so we're going to miss adam west he really helped define the original superhero of our time and that series really kind of brought out so many other series that we've seen today and enjoy so um he was a legend of what he did and we're all going to miss him so now i want to talk to you guys about something that's very near and dear to my heart and that is the lack of creativity and imagination going on in our in our society today especially with the younger generation as i look down i see the younger generation with even more of a challenge with this, and it shouldn't be like that. However, I do believe that I have found the exact reason for it, and maybe a solution. Now, I've always been told too much of a good thing isn't good for you, and I can't agree more. Just because it's something that we like or something that we feel we need doesn't mean it's beneficial to our lives. In proportionate amounts, it is, but in excess, it can become an addiction. Once we're addicted, we tend to give up things in order to fulfill our needs for the addiction that we've adapted. A few days ago, I was driving down the street heading home after working at the studio. And at a red light, I looked over at the car next to me and there were five teens in it. Not one of them was looking out the window or talking to each other. Instead, they had their noses pressed into their cell phones and tablets. The only one looking at anything, thank God, was the driver. And all I could do was shake my head because... I was sitting there thinking to myself, when I was in a car like that, when I was young with my friends, we were laughing, talking, taking shots at each other, and just living life. We looked out the window to see the world around us and take in what life really is. Today, kids and adults alike are completely addicted to their devices. A few moments without Wi-Fi or cell service, and they completely have meltdowns. As I look around and see the younger generations, I see them extremely angry all the time, easily offended, and just about 8 out of 10 of them have zero creativity or the ability to fix things or do general tasks. They rely on others to do this, or they search Google for answers that they should already know. I noticed that creativity since I was a child, among people my age, to the kids of today, has dramatically declined. As I watch HGTV shows, and when they look for these homes and remodeling plans, they can't picture it. And I can't understand that because it's exactly what they want, 
the the designers very clear in in the design, yet they still cannot figure it out. Now, how can we let this happen to our society? Now, I blame technology and our addictions to it. We don't stop to find out about our family and friends anymore. The only interaction we have with them is on Facebook or Instagram. We don't go out and play and experience the joy and beauty of the world around us. We don't read and escape into stories sending us into a world of make-believe, and that's because technology does all the thinking for us, and it keeps those blinders on. This is why the arts in every genre are suffering, and we have lost creativity to technology. Now, it's very important for us to break this addiction and start using our brains and our imagination. Without it, the arts will fail to thrive, and our imaginations will disappear forever, and that's a terrible thing to waste. Technology may be cool and fun, don't get me wrong. It's fun to play these games, it's fun to talk to people on social media networks, but none of these platforms are a substitute for physical interaction, nor a substitute for imagination and intelligence. Humans are social beings. Artificial social interaction is not a substitute for physical interaction at all. In sociology, I read about a girl named Jeannie who was discovered in her home at the age of 12 in the 1970s. She could not talk, socialize, nor care for herself. She was like a living vegetable that could do basic things like walk, eat, sit, lay down, stuff like that. Attempts to try to rehabilitate her had worked a little bit, but eventually they failed and she regressed. She was just too far gone. Her condition was caused by lack of physical interaction, love, and environmental stimulations like parks, schools, malls, and stuff like that. Without interactions, we fail to thrive. Those who are once social with friends and family that suddenly stop, they can regress to a state like Jeannie, and that can be caused by the addiction to technology. Now, they, sure, they're not going to get as bad as Jeannie by being addicted to, to technology, but it will have a regression in their lives, and that will be very hard for them to overcome. Remember, technology has destroyed marriages and friendships because it turns us into entities for those who loved us before and are closest to us that can't recognize us anymore. I've heard that so many times. To fix this, we must put the technology down, hit the off button once in a while, put down the phone, the tablet, and enjoy the world around us. Enjoy the people in your life and find inspiration in places that you never thought possible. Doing so will increase your creativity and self-confidence. Your life will improve and relationships will strengthen. Take care of yourself and strengthen your imagination and creativity, self-confidence, and relationships just by putting the phone down. Don't be a modern-day slave to an inanimate object. All right, guys, that's what I have to say about that. Let me hear what you want to say and what your opinion is by going to Twitter and going at, at Dowd Studios. Let me know what you, what, what you think and see if we kind of click or if we're completely on the opposite spectrum of this. <laughs> Anyways, I know it's going to be hard for anybody to put down the phone or the technology because it's, it is so grander. You know, there's just such a, a mystique about it that we love. And not having that, we feel like we've lost control. However, you haven't lost control of anything but yourself. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got so much more, so don't go anywhere. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Serena Palmer. You can come see me at the Shaw Festival and Dancing in Lunasa and Andrew Cleaves in the Lion until October 15th. Visit shawfest.com for more info. This is Vic DiBattetto. You are listening to the AME Radio Show. All right, guys. Welcome back to the show. We have a very special guest. His name is Richard Eldon. You've seen him on ABC Shark Tank, and he signed a $2.3 million deal from Mark Cuban and Lori Grainer. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, very good, thanks. Excited to be here. What's cooking, guys? Well, I know for me, not too much. We're just having some fun, uh, you know, chatting about some neat stuff that you got going on. Um, kind of tell me about how you decided to become an entrepreneur and design and create these types of products. So that is a, a very good question. It's not a, a, a quick 30-second answer, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, I used to work for another manufacturer right out of college. And uh, a few years into it, I decided to go out on my own. I always had businesses growing up, small businesses, nothing like my company today. And when it was time to leave, I had already learned the consumer products business. I designed my first product. I was in, actually, I was in grad school for my MBA, and I created a marketing plan for this company in my marketing class. Then I went and I, I went off to China. Actually, I went to study in Hong Kong as part of the same uh, program. And that's the only way I could get to China to make factories to make my first product. Then I came back over here, and uh, I got an order from QVC and an order from HSN, and that's how I started my business. That's phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about the product that you were selling. Uh, so I uh, first product I started was the Quick Cart, which is right over here. There's the Quick Cart. Um, it's a plastic collapsible cart. It actually folds. Uh, like this over here. So it folds for compact storage. I started the company with this product, um, and I sold it on the TV shopping networks for about eight and a half years. And then, um, I came out, well, what's happening was, uh, California was banning plastic bags. So I decided to make a card that weighed less, held more, and folded thinner because I thought there would be a greater demand for my products. And so that's how I came out with a smart card. And those are some of the smart cards right over there. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So um, kind of tell me a little bit how you got the nerve to go on to uh, Shark Tank, because I know a lot of people say it's very intimidating, and just because you have a product doesn't mean you can just jump on the show. What was the preparation that you needed? So there was a lot of preparation. Um, everybody wants to get on Shark Tank if they have a business, and so if you have the opportunity to get on, uh, if you're nervous or not nervous, you want to get on there regardless because it's a, a tremendous amount of uh, awareness created of your product or your company on the show. Uh, I've been a bit luckier than most in that I started my business on the TV shopping networks. And in the beginning, I was the one that sold my products on TV. So I've got a lot more experience than a lot of the people uh, that go on the show uh, being in, in front of the camera. Uh, and I've sold our products both here in the U.S., also in other countries like Canada, the U.K., Germany, Italy. So when I went on the show, I focused on what I wanted to get done, which was to make a deal. So there's really no nervousness at that point. You know, your heart is pumping a little bit in the beginning, but once you get in the flow and I'm there to do what I need to do, um, it's really not intimidating. Um, it's just like when I sell products on TV on the shopping networks. 
what the focus there is, I want to sell our products. I want to explain the features and benefits as best as I can so the consumers can get it and we can sell more and more products. So I was kind of in go mode. So not as intimidating for me as it would have been for some of the others, I think. And I know that there's been a lot of people that go on there and they, you know, they make proposals like, okay, I want um, $100,000 and like 5% of the company. What is that supposed to mean to people? Well, that's a valuation, right? You're creating, you're telling the sharks right off the bat how much you think your company is worth. So you want to make a deal where they're paying uh, for a certain percentage of the equity, the, the value of the company that you think it's valued at. And that's where you get a lot of back and forth between the sharks and between the, the, the people who are pitching. The people who are pitching always think that their company is worth more, and the sharks always want to try to make the value less so they can get a better deal. But if you know your numbers ahead of time and you do the valuations correctly, it's really hard for them to um, kind of beat you down on the uh, valuation. And I had done a ton of preparation. There's a lot of preparation, months and months of preparation before you go on the show. So you're hopefully... When you're finally on the show, you know what kind of questions they're going to ask, and you prepare those answers in advance, and you just want to be on it all the time. So there's no delay. You can be crisp and clean and decisive answers and good, fast responses. And not only just with Shark Tank, anybody that's going to go and ask for money, some type of investment, they're going to need to have pretty much the same type of system out there uh, of different things that they're going to need to, to uh, you know, present to the lenders. What are some of the things you want to have in your portfolio when you're going to go find a lender for your for a business that you want to have or a product? Well, your company needs to be making money. Uh, if you're not making money, then no one's going to loan you money. You've got to show that you can pay the money back. So you've got to show enough cash flow to show that you can make the payments on a loan that you're borrowing. This is one of the most important requirements that banks, and other lending institutions look for. And just to mentally prepare yourself for something like this, what are some of the things that you need to tell yourself to be confident in yourself in order to get out there and present yourself the best possible way with confidence? If you believe in your product, you're going to be confident. If you know you've got a great product, it works well, it may have a, a features and functionality that no other products have, like our products, our products work in a way that nothing else on the market does. We also, we're one of the bigger companies to ever get on Shark Tank. So we were already selling in Bed Bath & Beyond and Staples, QVC, Amazon, and those bigger retailers, Target, Walmart. And so we've got a track record of success at major retailers. So that success going into the show and in any presentation gives you a tremendous amount of confidence. When it comes to the banks not lending money, because I thought that they were going to lend me money, uh, more money and much sooner, and they didn't, and I would go back to them and I would say, look, I have hard copy POs from Walmart, Target, Bed Bath, Staples, all of these companies. Give me the money. And, you know, the big banks today are not set up to loan uh, high-growth, smaller companies like mine um, they're just not, they're, unfortunately, the system today is not geared towards companies like mine, which is why shows like Shark Tank are a, a tremendous opportunity 
to try to get investors to come in um, and provide that financing that is so hard to get from the banks. Now, you're in the, you're in the sales business, obviously, so you've heard a lot of no's, you've heard a lot of yeses. How do you not take the no's and take it to heart and realize that sometimes it's just a bad, it's just not for them? You know, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. And if you keep getting back up again and again and again, at some point, that becomes second nature. For anybody who's starting a new business, they might get a no or two or three no's and get discouraged. If those people can't get back up, then they're in the wrong business. You're going to get a lot of no's your whole life, no matter what you do, whether it's uh, in business or or anything else, uh, if you are not able to find a way around those obstacles, over those hurdles, if you can't turn those no's into yeses and you're going to get discouraged, then you probably don't want to try to start your own company because it's riddled. I mean, there's so many no's. Uh, it's, it's funny. Sometimes people ask me, hey, Richard, what do you do? And I say, uh, you know, instead of telling them what my company does, I say, what do I do? I... My job is to turn a whole load of no's into a whole load of yeses. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Now, I've seen people go on Shark Tank, and they have a great product, but it's completely, you know, priced out of, out of, out of price range for people. You know, because they want to use the top of the line. They probably can't get a good distribution on, on materials and manufacturing with it. How did you manage to, to keep your product at a high quality but yet make it affordable for people, obviously, so it's not priced out of, out of range. So I've had my business 15 years, and I've already made that mistake in the past when I developed one of our products, which was the highest quality, top of the line. But what I learned th at, with that product and what I tell all of my staff when we do product development, I say, look, if your product is too expensive, no matter how good the product is, it might as well be the worst product in the world because if it's too high for people to buy it, no one's going to buy it. So it doesn't really matter. Your price has to be at a place where the consumer will choose to spend their money. So cost is very important. We develop a lot of products and we consider quality. We consider a lot of um, aspects that go into product development in the end we have an idea of how much our product is going to retail for, and we have to design it in such a way that the costs are in line with that retail that we want to charge. Uh, there are some times where we do develop products where we don't exactly know what that retail is going to be, but no matter what it is going to be, we know we have some kind of ballpark. I mean, we can't make cards that cost $300. We know one, no one's going to buy a $300 card unless it's some kind of specialty niche market. We know that our price point is between 20 all the way up. Now it's going up to about, I want to say, $70, $80. Uh, but again, you're designing features into the products that have enough value that the consumer is looking at that product and saying, I like that product. That's worth the money. I'm going to spend the money and buy that product. And that's the name of the game in the consumer products business. If you can get that right, then you'll have success. I, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, it's good to have sometimes a, high, a little bit higher-end stuff where it costs a little bit more money and then have a couple variations of it so people, no matter what they, can, no matter what they make, can afford to have that, that, that more expensive one or one that maybe fits their budget a little bit better but not skimping on the quality. Yeah, and, and also when we develop products, we don't come out with the 
big master deluxe model from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. We'll start with, a, with the, the standard model of a product. And even though while I'm developing a product for the first time, sometimes I want to build more features and, and uh, I might want to uh, have a different kind of quality than the very first model, but I'll start with the first model, make sure that it's resonating with the consumers. Make sure that it's making the connection and people actually want to buy that style of product. Once they do and we have success, then uh, a lot of times we'll make a bigger version or we'll make a more deluxe version and, and then we can start to see if they'll buy the next more expensive model. At least that's our, um, that's our direction. That's the way we go. I'm not saying it's the way that everybody should do it, but that's the way we've been able to have success in our company. And not everything we develop uh, is a hit. Um, if you could design every single product and have a hit every single time, that would be uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, but right. as long as the majority of the products that you're developing, and the more we develop, the more we understand our customer, the more we understand what important features that the customers really do demand in their product, uh, you tend to have an increase in your success rate on those kinds of products you're developing. Now, distribution's got to be extremely important, too, because a good distributor will help you get your stuff. You'll have enough in stock. It won't kill you. It won't jack up the price. How important is distribution to a product? Uh, it's one of the most important elements of this business. You could make a great product. It could be at the right price, but if you're not able to get the product into distribution you're sitting on a lot of product. So it's absolutely essential that you get into the retailers and the, whether it's online, specialty catalog, brick and mortar retail, uh, the TV shopping networks, there's a lot of variation out there in retail. If you can just get a foothold somewhere, start to have success and you can build on that success and go after more retail. So super, super important. I think cost is important. Retail price is important. Distribution is important. All of these are really critical elements. In order to have success in a consumer products business, you have to get it right in every area. If you fall short in one area, say quality, for example. Say you've got a great price, great product, the function's great, but it is not high quality enough to survive the uh, the everyday environment that people are using your products for. Well, you're going to get bad reviews. People, you might get one order. Let's say you get an order into a retailer, but people are not going to go back and keep buying, and then your retailers are not going to reorder. That's why we had a massive growth in our business. We started to get many, many more reorders when we came out with the smart card and the trolley dolly. These were the two products that were highlighted on Shark Tank, and those are our best sellers in our company. People love the quality, they love the functionality, their price is right because they're buying. Everything has come together. And so we just continue to develop products that have all of those elements that are really hitting with the uh, retail uh, well, consumer. So what type of advice would you give somebody that's trying out and trying to follow your footsteps and maybe create a product out there? Should they be scared of it? Should they attack it? Um, what, what, what advice would you give them? 
I would say you have to, have to manage your expectations. Uh, most people who are not in this business think that they're going to uh, create a product, they're going to come up or invent this product, this new product, and instantly they're going to become a millionaire. That's not how it works. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into a product that you develop, and it's not a overnight success situation. A lot of these people that go on Shark Tank, for example, you may think that, and a lot of them do, they just create a product and then they go on the show, um, and then you think, oh my God, overnight. We've been in business 15 years, for example, and we've seen a lot of growth. It's kind of gone up and then, you know, kind of flat and then up again and then flat and then a little bit down and then boom, it went up. And, and we're in that upward growth phase, sort of like a hockey stick right now. Um, you have to be really committed. You have to, you have to understand that this is not a, a quick process and you need to be in it for the long haul. Very important advice my mother gave me was, Richard, if you're going to have a big company one day, maybe you should go and work in that kind of company, understand how it works. Then when it's time for you to set up your company, you'll understand what it takes and how it works. And that's exactly what I did. And if it wasn't for my experience in the previous company I worked for, I would have made a lot of the silly mistakes that people usually make when they don't have experience in an industry. And a lot of companies go out of business before they even begin because they're making those basic elementary mistakes that they should have learned working for another company. And another thing I would say is do your research. Most people don't do enough research. You can't do – there's no such thing as doing too much research because the, the more you study the product, the environment, the consumer, the functionality, all that – the more you know, and the more you know, the the less mistakes you're going to make, especially in the beginning of a company. We're all normal, regular people with jobs. I was a sales manager. I was making $80,000 a year, and you only have a very limited amount of money to use. I borrowed on my credit cards. I took all the money from my financial aid because I was in grad school. I refinanced my car. I mean, I went for it, and even that, you still don't have much money to play with. Later on, you sell product, you sell, you make profit, you take that profit, and then you have more money to develop. And if you make mistakes, you're not out of business right away. Right. So I know that was a lot of advice I just gave, but <laughs> if you can take away all the important elements of that whole little monologue I just gave you, I think that would be very beneficial to anyone who wants to get in the consumer products business. And Richard, obviously one of the most important things that we can talk to you about is how can we get your products or see what you got coming out. Oh, yes. Well, you can go to our website, which is uh, www.dbest-products.com. So that's D as in David, B as in boy, E-S-T, dash, products, with an S, dot com. Uh, our products are also on Amazon. Um you can also find some of our products in Bed Bath and Beyond and, you know, some of the other retailers that I mentioned. Um, and uh, I, I invite everybody to come to our website and take a good look because we have a lot of variation today. And we have a lot of different kinds of cards for different kinds of uses. So we, we are the – we make – we're the number one collapsible card company in America. Nobody makes the number of – variation, you know, the breadth and depth of the line. So please come, take a look. If you have any questions, send us an email about your questions. We'd love to hear from you. People send us ideas about what to add and what to change 
uh, we welcome all feedback. It's very important to listen to all the people that have feedback. Uh, we're a very open company, so we, we welcome all of that kind of information. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been a lightning, and I actually have a couple of your products, and uh, oh, I use them all okay, the time. So, well, thank you so Which much. Which ones do you have? Uh, the, the cart that you showed me before, the, the, the plastic one. Oh, the quick car. The quick yeah, car, yeah, yeah. That was the, uh, that's what we call our legacy product. That's the product I started the company with 15 years ago, and it continues to be a strong seller for us. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. It makes me happy. I love to hear that people are using our products because it does create a benefit in their life. It makes their life easier. And that's what we, that's really our goal. We want to make products that make life easier. It's not really all about the money. We know if we can solve those kinds of problems where people are having them or make it easier, we'll make money because people will buy our products. So as long as we focus on the product and what makes them so great in a functionality, we'll make money. Well, thank you for coming on, sharing us your story, and telling us some amazing advice that I hope people will follow. And Thanks very much. I hope they'll find your stuff, too. Okay. Yeah, so now when you're in the store and you can see our products, hopefully everyone will remember this little interview. That's right. <laughs> Well, um, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got so much more, so don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop in Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hey, everybody. This is Jay Underwood from uh, the original Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's uh, early 90s production, and now the uh, documentary Doomed, and you are listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have on the line with me a very special guest. Her name is Samantha Stewart. She is in a brand-new movie called Voodoo. And she has also been on Days of Our Lives, one of everybody's favorite soap operas. Welcome to the show, Samantha. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm great. Thanks for having me. So what kind of got you into being an actress? Um, well, I was born a Leo, who are just kind of like natural performers. Um, I always just kind of like craved the spotlight. I was always that kid in like choir who like wanted all the solos and wanted to be the center of attention. So my mom started putting me in community theater when I was in elementary school. And then from there, I would just like always do the plays in high school. And I joined a modeling agency when I was in middle school. Um, and then it just went from there. I got my degree in theater. And I've been out in L.A. since I was 17 pursuing my dreams. Wow. So that you're in a great spot for that, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. What, pretty, other than maybe New York or maybe Chicago, I think that'd be the best other place to be. <laughs> right. Depending on whether I want to do theater or TV and film. And I decided I wanted to focus on TV and film. So Los Angeles was the best place. What's the difference between theater and television and film? What made it so interesting for you to, to choose one over the other? Yeah, it, it ended up not being a difficult decision for me because I realized I'm 
very much just like spontaneous actor. I like to kind of learn my lines, um, not rehearse too much. And then just, you know, once you've done the scene, move on. And it doesn't really work that way in theater. Uh, you end up, you know, having like months of rehearsal and then you end up doing the same performance over and over. And I just found that that was like not my acting style. I didn't enjoy that. I got really sick of saying the same lines over and over. So for some actors, it's, you know, the way that they love to do it. They get really immersed in a character and they can play that character for months. But that just wasn't me. So definitely didn't want to do theater. Now, you were on Days of Our Lives. Did you watch that show growing up or anything? Or was it something that you were a part of with uh, any type of these daytime dramas? Um, I didn't watch it growing up. I didn't I didn't have really any family that was into soap operas. Um, I just, but I was, when I was kind of um, focusing on trying to get TV work, um, I was doing workshops and I met with the uh, casting, one of the casting directors for Days of Our Lives and I, it just seems like something that I'd be good at because it's actually, it's a very interesting style of acting because you really have, like, one take. You, you don't have, like, multiple... It's kind of like going back to my dislike of theater um, or doing theater. You, uh, in soap operas, you don't have a lot of rehearsal. You don't have a lot of time. You don't say your lines over and over again. You pretty much get one take to nail it. And that's what I loved. I love that just, like, say my lines, get out of there. And that's what soap operas really are. And it really teaches you to be able to nail something the very first time you do it. And uh, that was something that I was good at. So I realized soap operas were uh, an avenue that I thought I could be successful in. And so I just made like a goal for myself to do all the soap operas. And within six months, I had a speaking role on all four of the current running soap operas. Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, and that's a great uh, feat to be able to do, too, because I know I can't do anything in one take, especially yeah. especially something like this, believe it or not. One of the reasons I do these television shows and radio shows is to train my brain to be able to try to do things in one take, and right. I do everything unscripted. So it's kind of it's kind of a little bit intimidating along the way. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a tough medium. Like, not all actors can do it, for sure. I mean, it gets a bad rap. But that's because it's very difficult to give a fantastic performance in one take. Um, but the actors that can do it, they're really strong actors. So um, I, I was very drawn to it. So it's also a goal for you, too, which keeps you you know, continuously evolving, I'm sure, to make sure you get your craft down to the way that you want to be. And right. you know, that's something all artists, no matter what type of art needs to be doing, is constantly challenging themselves. Totally. Absolutely. Now, you actually are part of this voodoo. We talked to uh, Ruth uh, not too long ago, and uh, this seems like a really interesting movie. What made you decide to do something like this? I mean, because it really is a cult film. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at the time, I was just grateful for whatever work I could get. Like, it wasn't like, you know, this particular story drew me in, and I was like, I have to do it. It was like, I, got, I submitted to it along with a hundred other projects. I happened to get called into audition. I happened to book it, and... I wasn't in a position like where I wanted to turn down anything I was booking at the time. So um, that's really what got me to do it. I mean, I just booked it, so I did it. Um, and then realized later, you know, it was definitely a very, uh, it was unlike anything I had done before. And I realized it could definitely had the potential to be a cult following. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Was it a challenge for you to play something like that? I mean, did you have any background knowledge about voodoo or um, Satanism or anything like that? No, um, 
I wouldn't say that. I was always a, a big fan of horror and especially um, kind of underground horror. I, when I was um, a kid, I used to love to find the uh, horror films that had been like banned in multiple countries and find a way to see those movies. Like I was always that kid that was like the rebel and like wanted to do what, what wasn't allowed. So I was really into those films, kind of films growing up. So doing a horror film like this was really fun, but it was extremely challenging. I mean, we were, you know, we were on a low budget. Um, there's no stunt performers to step in for me during the hell scenes, like not a lot of rehearsal. So it was just me kind of getting beaten up for a few days and staying up till 7 a.m. in the morning after getting the set at 10 a.m. the previous day. So it, it was tough. It was strenuous, but I think, you know, all of that um, kind of abuse, like, made the character kind of come alive and uh, definitely added to the realism of the story, so it all worked out in the end. You know, I actually love horror horror movies myself, and I'm, I'm like you, I like to find those obscure ones out there, and I realize yeah. that sometimes with a lower budget, and they don't have necessarily the, the greatest props or, or outfits, it can make it look really cheesy, or it can make it look, or they can do a great job with them. And right. I think one of the ones that I first got involved with that I really loved watching was Vincent Price, Price's The Fly. That was probably one yeah. of the most grotesque things I've ever seen in my life when I was younger. And, right. um, and then I got to experience my first real-life uh, horror story. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, um, A Haunting in Connecticut, I used to deliver newspapers to the house next door to that place, and that summer, me and I was at the same hospital that her son was doing uh, cancer treatment of, and I heard all the stuff because every time you drove by, there's like make the hair on your neck stand up, and uh -oh. um, just really cool stuff. So yeah. I love horror movies, and I love the fact that you can be so artistic with them because there's really no limit on the on the makeup and the costumes and stuff like that. What would you say for something about voodoo? What was the? What, do you think that they did a great job with the with the outfits and the makeup and all the special effects that they were able to put into it? Yeah, I mean, we had a really great team. Um, I was blown away. Just even you know the the teeth that they would create just added this whole element um, to the way that like Ruth looked when she turned into a demon. I mean, she was scary. Like I couldn't even be around her. Um, when the cameras weren't rolling when she was in her demon makeup. I mean, it was pretty terrifying. And um, when Jared was getting into his, like, Satan costume, I just remember being like, you are one scary, you know what? Like, he, they just, they just did him up from top to bottom, and every detail was so intricate, and I thought that was so cool. Um, it just really added to, like, my terror <laughs> when I'm going through, like, this experience. So, um, yeah, they did a great job. Did you have to have any of those weird teeth in your mouth, too? No, because I never turned into a demon. I was always just me, you know, getting my ass kicked. So <laughs> I, I just wore the same dirty pajamas for, like, four days. Like, it was gross. Like, you know, the, just blood getting all over it and dirt and mud and being dragged through it. And I had to put on those same pajamas every day and just, like, hate my life. <laughs> um, so I don't know which one was worse, the demon teeth and makeup or an outfit or my outfit. Because <laughs> I swear, if I had something stuck into my mouth like that, I used to spar and stuff like that when I was in karate and putting those mouth guards in, i gag all the time. So yeah, well, and they would drool. I mean, they would literally be sitting there and just, like, drool coming out of their mouth because it's really tough to swallow when you have those teeth in. So I was not envious of that for sure. <laughs> 
So what was your character like? And uh, kind of kind of give us a background, a backstory about your character. Um, she's, she's a pretty innocent Southern girl. I don't think a lot bad has happened to her in her life. Um, she, you know, she did lose her mother, so I guess that's something bad that happened to her. But, um, for the most part, I think she's just got a very positive outlook on life. And I think she was trying to move on with her life after her mom died in the best way possible. And, um, she thought she found love with this man in New Orleans and then come to find out that he's married and uh, she, you know, she did the right thing. She left him. She tried to get away from it all, and just bad luck happened to follow her. Um, and it didn't matter that she didn't know he was married. The his wife just decided that she was going to curse her. So um, it's a definitely a big juxtaposition between who she is in the beginning and who she is at the end. Because you know she's kind of ready to move on with her life and be happy and and have a good time with her cousin. And then she just goes through this, like, just hellish experience and basically is, you know, dead in the end and probably is going to suffer in hell for the rest of her life. So um, it's it's kind of an unfair ending, in my opinion. <laughs> she didn't deserve it. But, you know, that's life. True. And unfortunately, you didn't know that, you know, her, his wife was a, uh, was a voodoo mistress. So, I mean... Yeah, you just got to choose sometimes who the, who you who you see in life. Yeah, maybe like don't live in New Orleans when you decide to get into a relationship because right. everyone there is, you know, maybe going to curse you. <laughs> now, I've I heard some of the uh, best lines. It was actually on a television show, but they say you can't play somebody without taking something away from that particular character, and it, it's like it, it's like it. Um, possesses you in a way did you have anything that you took away from your character that you realized maybe it opened up your eyes to something or maybe you can imply it with your own life or anything that that you learned from your character that you may put into your own life now um i just like how no matter what she went through she always kind of had hope that it was going to be okay um even when she's going through hell she she doesn't really give up until the very end. And even then when the, when the, you know, after the rape scene and she, the doors kind of open and she gets back to the house, she really thinks that it's over and that she's made it and that it's going to be okay. And then, you know, like fate kind of, you know, slaps her in the face again. But I, I like that hopefulness that she has that, uh, no matter what she was going through, she was like, I'm going to get through this. So I'd probably say that. Have, um, has this movie made you want to go check out you know, New Orleans a little bit more and experience some of the culture and stuff? Because I've always wanted to go there and see Madame Laveau's uh, grave, which I think would be very interesting in itself. Yeah. But how about you? I, I love New Orleans. I've been there um, a couple of times, and I love the city and the culture and the architecture and the music. Um, it's a really cool city. I, the first time I went, I actually bought a voodoo doll. Um, but the voodoo doll had a little card on it that said, this doll for keep away evil. And the person that sold it to me was like, you know, you don't hurt your enemies with this doll. Like this doll protects you. So I think it's interesting. There's all different forms of voodoo and it's not necessarily all, uh, demonic or evil. Sometimes it's, you know, can be used for good. So I think that's interesting. I got a voodoo doll too over there, so <laughs> you can't see it over here, but I do have one myself from, from New yeah. Orleans. So it's pretty interesting to have. And, um, what do you ho- what do you have kind of coming up in the future here after after this particular movie? Do you have anything else in the works that you're working on now that you are excited about? 
Um, not that I'm like in the middle of working on, but I have a few projects that should be coming up here in the next year or two. Um, there's a, uh, horror film called the mystery of the Casa Montecita, and it's going to be filmed in Peru, uh, with Malcolm McDowell from Clockwork Orange and, um, possibly Gary Oldman. He's like, we're in talks with him. So that should be really cool. Uh, getting to film in Peru and then, um, I have a bunch of commercials coming out, and um, I do a lot of re- crime reenactment shows, so I've got a couple of those coming out on Discovery ID in the next couple months. Um, but yeah, just I, I'm, a, I'm a little more picky about the projects I'll do these days. I'm not like just submitting everything like I used to and just taking whatever I get. So um, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm doing less projects these days, but better quality projects. So. Oh, that's really cool. Well, um, how can people follow you, and how can people find uh, Voodoo when it comes out? Um, Voodoo is already out. It's on iTunes and uh, on demand. It was in theaters for a while. Um, it's not hard to find if you're looking for it. And me, um, my website is thesamanthastewart.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at thesamanthastewarts. And I have a fan page on Facebook, um, which I think is actress Samantha Stewart. It's it's easy to find, but um, yeah, those are the best ways. Well, I don't want to keep you anymore. I know you got a pretty pretty busy schedule tonight, so thank you for coming on and sharing us uh, some stories about the the movie Voodoo and what you have coming up. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends. Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. Hi, this is Ashley Scott, and you're listening to AME Radio. Hey, everybody. I'm here at Merlin's Magic Theater and Shop in Newport Ritchie, and we just saw an amazing show with Jeff Williams here. He's joining us after the show. You're probably exhausted by it, so thank you for taking some time to talk with me. I'm spent. i got to tell you. Yeah, that's. That it was a great audience, great show. This is a great venue. Probably one of the best magic shops I've been in in quite some time, and it's just, this is great. So Newport Ritchie has got a really nice place here, and uh, I look forward to coming back. It went well. No one died, and that goes down on my permanent record. The permanent record, and nobody died tonight, but I'm sure they've died in the past. Yeah, I only go by day by day. But they died from excitement. Um, Well, that's the rumor. So, <laughs> well, if you haven't been able to figure it out, he is a comedian too. So he makes a really fun show. He does amazing illusions and makes you laugh all the way through, which is which is interesting. What made you decide to uh, incorporate comedy into your act? Oh, well, that's the crazy part. I started as a comic, so I started as a comedy writer and gravitated into magic, and it just was a perfect fit for me. So. Um, I had all the stage stuff right out of high school. I toured Europe with an acting troupe and wrote for Letterman and just everything was just sort of before 
magic, and then uh, the magic came along, and I just I've always liked special effects in movies. To me, that was that, that was more fun than the movies themselves, and so that. Uh, when I moved to Tucson, I actually got to see live special effects there, and the Tucson magicians are phenomenal, and they started to teach me stuff, and now it's gotten out of hand, so I'm full-time. <laughs> now you're dangerous. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so how did you get into um, doing some types of, uh, doing your, your stuff with Letterman? How did you get that type of a, of a role to work? What did you do? His, his top ten lists? Yeah, um, he had an he had an online contest, and I was entering stuff in those, and I got tapped uh, to submit stuff. And if they liked it, they bought it. If uh, they didn't, you know, that was fine. And so it was not, you know, uh, a thing that I relied on, you know, for my complete income. But it was fun, and it goes on my resume, so it stays there. Unless you lose your resume. Oh yeah, it's on computer, backed up to the cloud. So. What was what has been one of your most impressive tricks that impressed you that you were able to pull it off? Oh, uh, I married a hot babe. So yeah, Ms. Shelley, if you're watching this, um, you owe me now. Uh, that is, boy, it's it's so hard to say because uh, I'm no longer impressed by anything that I do because I know how it works. That's I, I'm impressed by other people. I love watching magic. I'm a huge magic fan. I can watch it all day long, and it's uh, I read a lot of books and things. Um, I'm probably best known for the three-card thing called the I Hate David Copperfield trick, which uh, I don't actually hate him. It's just part of the, the story and everything. And it's um, that probably put me on the map, but... I'm otherwise I'm just uh, I'm a lucky guy. I'm a lucky fan of magic. Who's been some of your biggest inspirations in the magic field? Uh sad one Tom Mullica who died recently. Uh, was, uh you see him on the uh, there's some video on the internet of him eating lit cigarettes. Uh, it wasn't about you didn't care if he found the cards. You didn't care if he fooled you at all. The ride was what it was all about. And I think that was one of the most important lessons. I really didn't care if I fooled anybody. I mean, obviously, I, I do. I want you to be fooled. But I really want you to walk out of there going, I just had a great time. And that's, to me, the, the lesson that I got from him. But I have a, a lot of favorites, too many of them to actually mention. But uh, there are comedy magicians galore out there. Uh, I learned from David last time I was here that there's a variety of different magic from illusionist to, uh, 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 was it, um, up close and personal type of tricks to um, uh, mind reading. Have you ever tried, what are some of the things you've tried that are you going to try to maybe incorporate into your into your uh, acts in the coming future? Well, I, I was doing some um, mentalist, some mind reading stuff. I have a problem, though, with with most mentalism. Uh, it's serious. It's one of those, you know, I'm going to read your mind sort of thing. And I have a hard time pulling that off just because I have to put a comedic spin on pretty much everything. So I have to do it in, in more of a funny sort of way. And I'm working on some, some stuff. I like sight gags. Um, I have one recently that I designed that's um, I come walking out uh, usually after the intermission of a big show. And I've got a Winnie the Pooh slipper on one foot, and it's, ah, oh, I, I stepped in poo, right? So I go over to the edge of the curtain, and I wipe my foot, you know, on the curtain, and now I've got a regular shoe on. So it's one of those. Um, to me, that's, those are really fun to come up with. 
And you also do a really neat ventriloquist type of uh, uh, act with your du- with your chicken. The chicken, yeah. How hard was it to learn how to do something like that? Uh, you know, it's just playing. It's all experimentation and playing and having fun and realizing that at the end of the show, everyone likes Binky more than they like me. It's really gotten out of hand. I mean, that the chicken is so personable. He has his own personality. It's so much It's so much fun. But, um, yeah, um, everyone likes Binky. So if you haven't seen the show, come see the show, and you get to meet Binky. He's weird. And he's not your only friend, I hope. Oh, no, I've got several. I have several other ones. that uh, uh, Bob the Mouse, there's Carl the Handkerchief, uh, and then, of course, my lovely wife, Shelly, who's a nurse by day and supermodel by night. So, What advice do you have for anybody that's going to get into the magic field? Oh, do it for the love of it don't do it for the money don't do it for fame and accolades don't do it for the immense power that you get over you know uh, inanimate objects and crazy stuff like that do it just for fun anything you do do for fun and do it because you absolutely love it and you have to do it if you don't do it you'll explode then you're perfect for anything that you do. But uh, we need magicians who want to practice 24-7. They, you know, they, they can't live without practicing and perfecting and coming up with new things. And we've got all of the new magicians out there who are listening to this. Go for it, okay? Take regular breaks. Uh, bathe regularly, okay? Think of others. Uh, but, yeah. But put your heart and soul into it because that's really, you know, then you're going to have the most fun that you can possibly have with this. And how can people find you if they want to find out more about your magic? Ah, JeffWilliamsMagic.com. That's G-E-O-F-F, WilliamsMagic.com. Uh, I'm all over the Internet and all over uh, YouTube. And you can join my fan page. So go to my website and you can link up and I will. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well. So I do a, a pun a day on Facebook. I take Sundays off, but it's, uh, that's kind of fun. That's been one of my passions lately for comedy writing, a crazy play on words. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, a wonderful show. I cannot wait to see you when you come back. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, everybody. we got about two minutes left. So thank you guys for joining in with us this week, talking about some art, music, and entertainment, and I hope that you enjoyed our guest. I hope that you learned something as well. And remember, don't be afraid to get out there and try something. As an artist, I've heard it from many, many people where they say, you know something? I saw that piece, and it really spoke to me. It touched me. It changed my life in some way. There's nothing more powerful than hearing that, and it will send chills down your spine. So get out there and try it. Don't be afraid, and believe in yourself. All right, guys, so that's all we have for you guys this week. Now, remember, we have a brand new AME television show coming out next uh, this week and next week. So a lot of great guests, a lot of great places that we're going to go check out. So please go to our website and look for that. You can also find it on Roku and a lot of other great places as well. And if you want to hear the AME radio show, don't worry. All you have to do is go to www wklap.com every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. You can also find us on AMFM 247 Broadcasting Network and there are eight AMFM stations across the United States every Saturday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time and radiolove.com every Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of places to find it. If you do, if you can't find it there, go check us out on iTunes and also on iHeart. Oh, man, all you have to do is 
search the little box that says AME Radio Show, like us, and I'll tell you what, every time that we post a brand new show, it automatically gets posted there. So you'll be able to hear the show before everybody else, kind of like a VIP. And if you miss anything, don't worry about it. Go to our website. You can see who we have coming up, who we have talked to, and any past show that you may have missed. All right, so that's all we have for you guys. Enjoy this weekend. Get out there. Do something creative with yourselves. Make the world a better place. And remember, keep those creative juices flowing. We will see you again back next week. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.